Each time a girl opens a book and finds a womanless history, she learns she is worthless. Those are the profound words of Dr. Myra Sadker, a pioneer in the research of gender bias in schools. So where are the women in our history curricula? Researchers in South Africa who analyze studies on women in history textbooks from, amongst others, Taiwan, the United States, the United Kingdom, Russia, and South Africa, concluded women are underrepresented and marginalized in history textbooks. Just how underrepresented and marginalized? Well, in the United States alone, a study by the National Women's History Museum found that out of the 737 historical figures taught in K-12 classrooms, just 178 were women. That's less than 24%. Of those women, most were mentioned within only one of the 50 states, and typically as sidebars. The numbers are even more dismal when looking at the breakdown of women by race. 63% were white women, 25% black, 8% Hispanic, 4% indigenous, and less than 1% were Asian or Pacific Islander women. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Pep Talks, Podcasts on Educational Possibilities, produced by the National Coalition of Girls Schools. I'm your host, Olivia Haas. The inclusion of women in history curricula is critical because, as we always say at NCGS, girls need to see it to be it. To quote United Nations Ombudsman Shireen Dotson, if we want our girls to benefit from the courage and wisdom of the women before them, we have to share the stories. It's as important for boys to also see accomplished women in history in order to be aware women were an integral force in shaping our world. Education about the accomplishments and contributions made by women enable both girls and boys to see that gender is not a factor in deciding what you can and can't pursue in life. Joining me today are Lori Ann Turgeson, Director of Education for the National Women's History Museum, and Charlotte Mangin, Creator, Executive Producer, and Director of Unladylike 2020, a documentary series profiling unsung women which premiered on PBS's flagship biography program, American Masters, and to date has been seen by nearly 5 million viewers. I look forward to speaking with Lori Ann and Charlotte about the value of teaching women's history, the importance of girls, and especially BIPOC girls needing to see themselves represented in history lessons, and how educators can benefit from their organization's resources. Joining me first is Megan Murphy, Executive Director of NCGS, to share info on some resources that are related to today's conversation. Thanks, Olivia. I'm excited for today's episode because it's all about celebrating the accomplishments of women and inspiring the next generation. So here's a question for you. Who are some of the women making history today? Maybe we should even call it herstory. Well, there are internationally recognized names like Katie Ledecky, who's earned the most world championship gold medals ever for a female swimmer. Or there's Christine Lagarde, the first woman to head both the European Central Bank and the International Monetary Fund. And then there's Ava DuVernay, the first black woman to win Best Director at the Sundance Film Festival, be nominated for a Best Director Golden Globe, and direct a film nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. And then what about all of those women in history who may not be quite as widely known? 
women like Sister Donna Markham, who is the first woman president and CEO of Catholic Charities USA, or Carla Garcia, who spoke at one of our conferences recently, who's the first Latina elected to the Dallas Independent School District Board. And then there's Dr. Nancy Grace Roman, the first female executive at NASA and NASA's first chief astronomer. So wait for it, wait for it. What do you think all of these trailblazing women have in common? Yep, you know it. They all attended girls' schools. And you can learn about many, many, many more women who have shaped our world by checking out our list of notable girls' school alumni at ncgs.org in our advocacy section. Turning from the past to the future, NCGS is launching a new global mentoring network for aspiring leaders. You know, girls' schools have always been incubators for future leaders, and among the guiding principles of NCGS is to inspire the next generation to lead with courage, confidence, and empathy. And I think while much of our work in this area has focused on the girls and young women in our schools, it's equally important to create opportunities for a diversity of aspiring leaders to explore and prepare to teach at and lead schools for girls. So we're working with Brightfield Consulting, um, who has developed a program and engaged over 100 women and men in the UK since 2017. And since that time in their Aspiring Leaders program, 40% of the participants have achieved the leadership promotions they desired. And what we're going to do is take this program global. It is open to women and men from academic or administrative roles at NCGS member schools. And it's really designed for people who aspire to school leadership sometime in the next five to seven years. Interested applicants, um, if you're out there, you can self-nominate, and I hope you will, or your principal or head of school can nominate you. The applications are open right now for the 21-22 cohort, and they're due by April 27th. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Megan. So, Lorianne and Charlotte, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Lorianne, let's start with the research. What did the National Women's History Museum learn through its analysis of how women's history is characterized in K-12 social studies curricula? What were some of the key takeaways? Thank you for the question, Olivia. Um, what we found with was that the standards really didn't integrate women's history well into the current curricula, nor did it address the, the breadth and depth of women's history. So what I mean by that, for example, is that the standards, for example, they prioritize listing women of accomplishment, which reflects the standards overall tendency to celebrate um, individual leadership and achievement. But that again, that misses the breadth and depth of women's history, and it doesn't contextualize women's history within the greater narrative of our history. Um, women's history is, of course, history uh, that is viewed through a, a woman's perspective, and it takes into account the cultural, the political, the economic circumstances that um, cause women to react, act, and make the decisions that they did during that time. Um, it, these are largely unaddressed if you're just saying so-and-so was a great leader or, or, you know, those sort of references. And even when it is listing individual women, it prioritized white women over 
uh, other races, for example. And um, so again, we're leaving out a, a large uh, chunk of the population and the narrative when we start leaving out other voices and groups. Um, we feel that uh, based on what we learned from the, the study that it, it really focused in on a number of small topics rather than again, addressing that breadth of women's history and really integrating it into the national narrative. Um, so, you know, one antidote I, I tend to tell people is that when I work for the, the National Women's History Museum, the, the reaction I tend to get is, oh, that's like the suffrage movement, that's broad burning and, and that's abortion rights. And and that's how women's history has kind of been boiled down in, in our current dialogue. And it doesn't go anywhere near addressing, again, the, con the context behind those social movements. And it's not all about social movements. And also there's, um, you know, the trend, the current trends in ideals in girls' education, for example, uh, really aren't reflected by these standards. So we know right now that we're encouraging girls to study um, STEM, science, technology, engineering, math in, in higher, higher uh, degrees and levels, but they're not seeing those examples in the history that they're studying. Um, one example that I always think about is Rosalind Franklin, who, you know, she she's really responsible for um, discovering that that helic form of DNA, but uh, she never got the credit for it. She it, all the credit went to her, her male colleagues. So a lot of uh, women's achievements and what they contributed to history during their time is either unacknowledged or is trivialized or is completely characterized as something else. And that's problematic. So what is, Lorianne, the potential impact on girls and boys of not seeing equal representation in our history books? At NCDS, we've been doing a lot of work on the intersectionality of gender and race. What's the impact on BIPOC girls in particular who see even less representation of themselves? So, you know, this this question makes me think of a young staff member I had. Um, I was working at a children's museum and um, th this young staff member, mid-20s uh, um, of Indian heritage, we sent her to a, a conference and she happened to see a, a woman, an Indian woman, winning an award for her work in the field. And she said she was taken aback. And she actually went up to this woman afterwards and said, I can be you. You do the things I do and I can be you. And she's in her mid-20s. So that, that, that's what we're missing when, when girls don't see themselves and, and don't see women who look like them um, taking their place in hip history, making an impact, achieving things, but also just woven into the very fabric and context of our history it makes them feel like they are other, which is not the case. Um, uh, I, I went to a, another conference where I had a long conversation with a group of older African-American women, and they were saying that they had just started learning about African-American women's uh, role in the suffrage movement, which by the way, is not greatly addressed in, in, the, in the standards. And uh, they said, we were there all the time. We were there all along. That's the point. Yes, you were. And it it gave them a feeling of unity. They felt like um, one woman says she felt like more of a citizen than she had ever felt before when she made this realization. 
so it is that important um it's that sense of inclusion and um we you know i always say that inclusive history is good history because when you start leaving out voices then you're not hearing the the full story and that's to the detriment of not only those forgotten voices but to, to everyone boys in particular need to know about women's history because it, it teaches them to be an advocate um, George Washington University uh, ran a study and it showed that when men spoke to women, they interrupted 33 times more than when they were speaking to, to men. Just being aware of that, I've noticed that there are men who in meetings will say, you were interrupted. Tell, tell us what you were going to say. So they're, they're kind of course correcting on their own and they're making those, those adjustments, which are so necessary. That's an important part of being an advocate. When you learn to respect that women are not other, but a part of our fabric and our history, and you learn to become an advocate. Charlotte, tell me a little bit about the backstory to Unladylike 2020. What was your inspiration? Hi, thank you for having me. So I actually attended an all-girls school for my last three years of high school, uh, the Spence School in New York City, where I was taught that the world was my oyster, but I don't feel I was offered many role models of what that could mean exactly. And even in the textbooks that we studied there, I was exposed mainly to white male history makers. There was always a focus on war, power, mercantilism, and uh, when I became a documentary filmmaker 20 years ago, uh, I've spent most of my career at National Geographic and at PBS. Um, women's stories is something that I was always gravitating toward. And a few years ago, I discovered um, a nonfiction children's book with my two sons called Soar Eleanor, which is the story of Eleanor Smith who in the 1920s was the youngest licensed pilot in the world. Uh, she got her license at age 16. And the men at her airfield on Long Island, just a few hours away from where I live, um, gave her a dare because they didn't believe that a girl could fly. And they dared her to fly under a bridge. You may know this was the time when barnstorming, all these crazy aerial stunts was all the rage. So Eleanor Smith flew under all four bridges of the East River in New York City and went on to become this extraordinary test pilot, broke a number of endurance records, late in her career actually worked with NASA on uh, shuttle landing simulators. And I was just blown away by this story in awe of her accomplishments, but also really frustrated. Why have I never heard of Eleanor Smith? Uh, growing up in the U.S., you only hear of aviator Amelia Earhart, right? So I started to research her, and that led me to other women in aviation, and that led me to women in other professional fields, and it just grew and grew, this treasure trove. I must have researched over 200 women um, focused specifically on the turn of the 20th century because I, I realized in the course of my research that the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage in the U.S. was coming up in 2020 and that and thought, oh, that's you know the perfect time to take stock. How far have we come? What remains to be done to reach gender equity? And uh, because of my history with PBS, I early on partnered with American Masters, which is PBS's flagship biography series. And we ended up creating 26 short documentaries. They're 10 to 12 minutes each. 
as well as a one-hour television special focused on five of the women who were activists and politicians and developed educational curriculum and lesson plans for each of the 26 stories and have been doing events with PBS stations and community partners all over the country for the past year. And it's just been this amazing experience um, getting to tell these stories. Well, thank you, because I was not aware of Eleanor Smith myself. So now I'm excited to go learn and read more about her. She sounds incredible. Um, So tell me a little bit more about what you discovered, you know, as you started the research for your documentary, as you started researching these these different women. Well, the the first thing that struck me was the context in which they lived. I, I don't think I had realized that just a little over a century ago, women in America didn't have the right to vote, had only recently won the right to own property or get a divorce or have custody of their children, faced highly limited career and educational choices, often were expected to do all of the childcare. Some states had laws on the books that when you married, you, you had to quit your job. You were supposed to be home taking care of your husband and your children. Um, and in some parts of the country, you could even be arrested for wearing pants in public. We found archival newspaper articles from the 1890s of a woman wearing uh, masculine attire while bicycling around New York City, (laughs) which I do every day. So it was just like, oh my God, what were they up against? Uh, But despite those conditions, you know, uncovering these women who overcame just so much sexism and racism to accomplish what they did was really mind-blowing to me. Um, And what was difficult was the selection process. How did, you know, I I want to make films about all 200 of them eventually, (laughs) but we only had the funding and the distribution partnership to make 26 That's because American Masters wanted to roll out one film a week uh, for the 26 weeks between the start of Women's History Month in March and August 26th, which was the centennial of the date that the 19th Amendment was uh, written into the Constitution in the U.S. in uh, 2020. Um, So we put together uh, a humanities advisory board um, and worked with them to really hone in our research and select a slate of women that was really representative of the diversity that, uh, you know, of America at the time when it came to racial ethnic background, geographical origins, the professions that women had access to. Uh, Some of the women that we featured were actually the first uh, in their professional fields, um, and, and, you know, gender orientation, sexual orientation, and so on. So really trying to, to have a very inclusive approach to a history because, um, you know, the little that I knew of the era, the narrative tends to be about just a handful of wealthy, white, educated East Coast women who helped us get the vote. <laughs> and the reality is much more complex than that. So let's talk for a minute about who is telling our stories. As a maker of documentaries, Charlotte, let's dig a little deeper into how did you identify the women you were going to feature and what stories to tell. 
that would be, as you noted, really incredibly hard to narrow it down to just 26 women. Sure. Um, well, first, the research was happening mainly at the New York Public Library. I, I dug into sometimes out-of-print encyclopedias, uh, memoirs, biographies. Um, many of these women at the time, this is 10 years ago now, didn't have Wikipedia pages written about them. Um, so I really went out of my way to find them. The, the National Women's History Museum actually had an exhibit, an online exhibit about the progressive era that, that, that turned me on to some of them, <laughs> about the new woman concept. Um, uh, you know, new women were um, in some ways the first feminists <laughs> at the turn of the 20th century, uh, not conforming to the mainstream gender roles and expectations of the time. Um, but because it's a visual medium, documentary film, uh, the first criteria was, is there enough archive to tell her story? And unfortunately, when we found only one photograph of a woman, we had to put her on the back burner because it just wouldn't be possible to, to bring her to life. Um, I think the woman that we had the least images of Jovita Idar, who was a Mexican-American journalist, nurse, civil rights activist, suffragist, and many other things. <laughs> a lot of these women accomplished in a, a number of different uh, fields. Um, we still decided to do her story because it was so important, but we only found, I think, four or five photographs of her in all. So early on, I partnered with this very talented artist whose background is actually in um, museums and galleries. She's, she's uh, in fine arts. She had never worked on a media project before, but I love her work. And she created this really signature look for the series um, with the black and white archive as the jumping off point, but then really taking you into this breathtaking animated world in which we were able to not only fill in the visual gaps uh, in our women's stories, but um, but bring this past to life and color in, in a really exciting way. Um, and I, I think the other thing I want to mention uh, about our storytelling approach was it was very important to me to make this history uh, feel relevant and alive today. So we not only interviewed historians and biographers who were able to tell us the salient details of these women's lives and their historical context. But also um, for each episode, we chose a woman who's in the same profession today, still breaking barriers in some way to really highlight the fact that there are still firsts and onlys sometimes happening today for women in America um, and women around the world, really. Um, and, and so each of the films kind of weaves in and out also of a, of a present day story um, offering role models and, um, and reflecting on what still remains to be done in their professional fields to reach gender parity. So Laurieann, Charlotte was working in an audiovisual medium within a budget. So she shared some of the challenges that posed in terms of whose stories were told and whose weren't. Let's talk a little bit about who's telling our stories in the written word, the writing of history, to get back to talking about textbooks just for a little bit. Why is it important to be aware of who's writing our history and the impact that may have? It's 
important to really pay attention to who's writing the history because everyone has an agenda and everyone has an angle, right? Um, so a, a lot of our textbooks do come out of Texas. Uh, a lot of states, smaller states, don't have the the funding set aside to create their their own textbooks. So they rely on these larger, uh, better funded states to help produce those textbooks and, and the curricula that goes into them. And we know that um, largely based on geography um, in the United States, at least, that uh, that some sway more conservative, some sway more progressive, and, and that influ influences and colors how the history is told. Um, it, such was the reason that um, women like Hillary Clinton, for example, uh, were on the chopping block, if you will, for getting taken out of Texas history um, books. And, and just think about how detrimental that is to girls in terms of need to see it to be it. Uh, you know, really the, the first woman to be on a, a major presidential ticket. So, um, it, it, so it's important just to be aware of those agendas and uh, what angle that they're coming from. And um, it's important to be aware that there are women writing textbooks and um, something to, to keep an eye out for. There are minority voices and, and so, some of those muted voices that are now writing their own textbooks and, and being aware that those resources are, are there to help supplement the works we already have. So in my last episode of Pep Talks, I spoke with educators about the value of STEM education, in part as it relates to future potential careers in growing industries. What is the value of teaching history and telling our stories? How is it important in shaping young people? Lorianne, I'd love to hear from you first. I, I like to um, I refer to Shireen Dodson, and she once said, if we want our girls to benefit from the courage and wisdom of, of the women who came before them, we have to share their stories. And um, I, I find this quote so vital to what we do at the National Women's History Museum and to what edu educators need to be doing in the classroom that I have it posted on my wall <laughs> in my office. But I think that really kind of gets to the heart of it. What is the reason that we as human beings are inherent storytellers? It's a way of passing down our shared culture, our sh shared narrative, and all the courage and lessons and benefits that come with knowing what came before us is a part of, of feeling included and knowing that you are a part of a community and that you are relevant and valued and that there are others like you. And, you know, again, going back to, to that, that staff member I had who, when she finally saw someone like her achieving something, um, <laughs> it, it's important to have this role, role model so you know that you can strive to, to accomplish just as much and be a part of uh, the goings on and, and the, the greater impact that we're having as a, as a human family. Well, um, you mentioned women in STEM fields. Unladylike actually included um, an astronomer, a botanist, an engineer, and a polar explorer, and the modern-day role models in the same fields. Um, and those four episodes have had uh, some of our largest viewership, actually, which is very exciting to me. Um, most of them were white women 
because they had more access to, to the education and resources that would have been needed to enter into the sciences. Um, but I'm looking forward, assuming we're able to do a season two to, to feature other women in, in STEM. Um, just to piggyback off what Laurieann said, you know, we really stand on the shoulders of these women from the past. They're the ones who opened the doors for us. And in looking back at their lives, well, for me personally, at least, it gives me such hope in shaping a better future. You know, if they could do that, then there's nothing stopping me <laughs> from, from doing more. You know, if she could climb a mountain in petticoats, uh, I have no excuses. <laughs> uh, but I was particularly inspired, since I am a filmmaker, by the story of Lois Weber, who uh, I wish I had known about as I was starting my career. She was actually the first woman member of what is now known as the DGA, the, the Directors Guild of America. She started her own production studio in Hollywood in the 19-teens and one, was one of the leading filmmakers of the silent film era. And you often hear of uh, D.W. Griffith, why don't we hear about Lois Weber? <laughs> and uh, she was uh, also a mentor to many women. And um, at the time, more than half of the screenwriters in Hollywood were women. Uh, and until the film studios became really masculinized and Hollywood became, you know, such a big budget industry that women were pushed out. Um, so I just think you know, if I had known about Lois Weber, it might have inspired me to envision uh, even more and an even more ambitious future for myself. Yeah, I can't imagine doing anything in petticoats, let alone hiking to the top of a mountain. So that's that's a really wonderful visual. So how can educators expand history to be more inclusive and accessible? I think uh, one of the best ways educators can be more inclusive in the history they teach is by learning inclusive history themselves. Um, it really, I know we like to say education starts at home, but we, I think this pandemic has taught us that we are very much reliant on, on teachers in the classroom. And it, it takes those brave teachers who want only what's best for their students and who want that brighter future for their students to educate themselves first. Um, we offer uh, a Summer Educators Institute, for example, where we we show teachers the types of resources that they can use to include women's history into the, the curricula and those standards that they already have to teach. And it's always so motivating for me to see teachers coming out and taking it upon themselves to take the initiative to learn that history, um, feel inspired and engaged by it, and, and look for those resources that they can implement to help their own students learn that history. Charlotte, would you like to add anything? Sure. I'll just say um, I'm Lady Like 2020 in partnership with many national women's history and education organizations, including the National Women's History Museum, just held uh, a two-hour education summit called Where Are the Women, inspired by the report uh, that the museum published. And um, one of the presenters, Alex Cuenca, who is a board member of the National Council for the Social Studies, uh, it really struck me, said during the summit that 
yes, there are standards and teachers have to adhere to them, but the standards should be the foundation on which teachers build. And at the end of the day, the teachers are the curriculum gatekeepers and can really make a conscious effort to bring more diversity and relevance into the subject matters that they teach. Um, and as Laurieann said, there are so many resources out there to supplement what isn't in the textbooks. Um, and, you know, again, as the mother of two young boys, my children are getting their history these days from uh, Hamilton and graphic novels <laughs> and short videos on YouTube more than from history textbooks. Uh, so there's just a lot of opportunity to connect with youth in other ways. I know there are a lot of resources out there for educators, but what specifically are some of the resources that your organizations, Unladylike 2020, and the National Women's History Museum have available for supporting the teaching of history or women's history? Charlotte, what do you have at Unladylike 2020? So all 26 shorts are available on our website on the watch page. Uh, we also have an explore page where you can actually in a way, choose your own adventure, depending on what your interests are, um, broken up by geography, profession, uh, background, and, and other criteria. Uh, we've created lesson plans and classroom activities with our partners at PBS Learning Media, which are available for free, standards aligned, and uh, focused on all 26 women in the series and the various history um, movements that they connect to. And our recent Where Are the Women Summit that I mentioned, uh, the video can be watched in perpetuity, uh, both on our website and on the American Masters YouTube channel. Um, and we have four webinars coming up uh, to dig deeper into the curriculum and, and really support teachers in the teaching of women's histories. You can find our website at unladylike2020.com. And Laurieann, I know there are a lot of robust resources at the National Women's History Museum that you offer as well. Can you share what some of those are? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, the, the National Women's History Museum has a number of online exhibits, explore uh, lots of different topics within women's history. Um, it helps place them within the larger context of our history. Um, we have a large compendium of uh, biographies, which are our most visited uh, place on the, on the website. Um, it includes both U.S. women and international women. Um, we have downloadable posters. We have lesson plans, and these lesson plans are are written by other K through twelve educators as part of our for educators by educators resource development plan, and they are written to the uh, C three framework for um, National Social Studies state standards. And um, let's see, what else do we have? We have short videos uh, to help spur conversations, and. Um, we have a lot of virtual programming going on right now from our Brave Girls Virtual Storytime to our Sundays at Home programs that explore various different topics as well. All these resources are available at womenshistory.org. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Like what you heard? Be sure to subscribe to Pep Talks, podcasts on educational possibilities, and leave a rating and a review. Stay current on the latest NCGS offerings, 
resources, and research by subscribing to the Coalition Connection newsletter found in the news section at ncgs.org. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Girl Schools. Pep Talks is produced by the National Coalition of Girl Schools, the leading advocate for girl schools, connecting and collaborating globally with individuals, schools, and organizations dedicated to educating and empowering girls. Thank you.